Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa That's great. Thank you. Let's say the verse for opening a sutra together. Wu Shang Shen Shen Wei Miao Fa Bai Qian Wan Jie Nan Zao Yu Wu Jin Jian Wan De Shou Chi Yuan Jie Ru Lai Zhen Shi Yi The unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I've come to receive and hold it, Within my sight and hearing, I bow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Venerable Master, Dharma friends, welcome to our Sutra lecture tonight. This is Saturday night, August, August 18th, uh, 2012. We're in Berkeley, California. We're looking into the Ten Grounds chapter of the Abhatamsaka Sutra. And please turn to the front of your text. We're going to chant the name of the sutra and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas who speak the sutra. And we'll do it together. Here we go. Namo Please turn to page 64 and 65.
we're on the first full paragraph, the paragraph that starts with Pusa Zhu Di, right there, the Bodhisattva who dwells upon this crown. Okay, here we go. Pusa Zhu Di. Dozo 所作业不离念法不离念生乃至不离念乃至不离念去足一切种一切智智我当于一切众生中为首为圣为书圣为妙为微妙为上为无上乃至为一切至至一之者 Kind of a tongue twister. Okay, page 65, the Bodhisattva. All right, let's read this all together. We'll read it in unison together. Uh, David, do you need a text? Okay, got it. We know there is one for you if you want one. Okay, here we go together. The Bodhisattva who dwells upon this ground for the most part becomes ruler of the heaven of the 33, able to employ expedients to cause living beings to abandon greed and desire, using giving, kind words, beneficial conduct, and similar work. All such karmic actions which he performs are not separate from mindfulness of the Buddha, mindfulness of the Dharma, and mindfulness of the Sangha, up to and including not being separate from mindfulness of endowment with the wisdom of the wisdom of all modes. He further makes the following reflection. I should, among all living beings, be a leader, be supreme, be especially supreme, be wonderful, be subtle and wonderful, be superior, be unsurpassed, up to and including being one of wisdom of all wisdom on whom one can rely. Okay. Well, for those of you who uh, were with us last week, and we promised that we would be here on time, uh, and by golly, we made it. And not only that, but a lot of folks who are here tonight also spent the week... uh, some 600 miles away up in, uh, in the mountains of coastal Oregon, and we made it back and uh, are here to continue the conclusion of the prose section 
of the third ground, of the Bodhisattva's ten grounds. We're wrapping up the, the story, and we're about to launch into the repetitive verses. But we're not quite there yet. Tonight, we will set up the stage to, next week, uh, investigate the verses. And I'm going to uh, look into the sutra with all of you until 8.30, and then going to uh, show you some of the images and uh, tell some of the stories from the Oregon Buddha Root Farm retreat. So uh, hang on, and we'll be doing that. Uh, a minute ago, I closed all those windows, and I guess somebody else thought it better to have it cold and drafty. So if anybody's feeling cold and drafty, go ahead and close that window. The intent was to have them closed. So um, let's take a look now. We're on page 64, and as I said, we are wrapping up the story of this Bodhisattva of the Third Ground. And this is the Avatamsaka Sutra, the Flower Garland Sutra, and it describes what a Bodhisattva, uh, how a Bodhisattva thinks, behaves, talks, reflects, and uh, vows. So it's a very powerful uh, description of uh, an awakened being and what an awakened being is like. So this is the summary, and it says, Pusa a bodhisattva who dwells is a funny word. This is our early translation. We would definitely improve it, and we will be improving this translation. The bodhisattva who inhabits, the bodhisattva who uh, enlivens, the bodhisattva who brings this stage of practice to life probably is more effective language than dwelling. We don't think about dwelling places. Um, the Bodhisattva who is passing through this stage on the way to Buddhahood, Dozo Sanshasantienwa, for the most part, does so in the body of a god. And it labels what kind of god it is. This is a god of the second heaven in the desire realm. That sounds pretty technical. Uh, but in fact, the, the Buddha Sutras talk about the heavens a lot. There's a lot of information about what it's like to be a god from the Buddhist point of view. And, of course, if you come from a, a theistic Christian or a monotheistic background like I did growing up, that sounds pretty challenging to say the second heaven of six heavens in the desire realm, not to mention the heavens of the form realm and the formless realm. But indeed, indeed, in, from the Buddhist perspective, and also from the, the perspective of the Hindu Brahmanistic world, there are multiple heavens, lots of heavens. There's not just one. And the gods there are very many, indeed. This is the second stage, uh, the second level of those heavens. And why is it named after a number? Why is this the heaven of the 33 gods? And therein lies a story. It's a great story. One that I first heard from Master Shrenhua when he was describing the Amitabha Sutra at Gold Mountain Monastery. And for somebody, as I say, who came from 
a world where there was one God and the Ten Commandments are very specific about thou shalt not have any gods before me. And in fact, the uh, Hebrew scriptures are full of stories of people who got zapped and blasted and burned out and eradicated because they had other gods before the God of the, the Israelites. So when I first heard this, I was kind of nervous, honestly. It's kind of scary because like, Thou shalt not. What is unclear about thou shalt not? That's like, you must not have any other God. And you, you kind of get a feeling for what that God must be like who's telling you, you must not. And I always had an interesting kind of a fear, honestly, tell you the truth, afraid, afraid of that God. And that was true all the way up until I had been a Buddhist monk for 18 years, and I was now a student at the Graduate Theological Union's Franciscan School of Theology, FST, which is where I took my Old Testament class. And my teacher of Old Testament was Father Michael Guinan, who's a Franciscan father. He's a friar. And Father Michael Guinan spoke and read, or he read, Aramaic, Greek, Latin, Hebrew, classical Hebrew, and a couple other, like, biblical languages. He was one of the world's experts on the languages of the Bible. He really knew. And he took the Old Testament and unpacked it in a way that I'll never, ever forget. And he would say, oh, you know where that commandment came from? He said, that came from people who were afraid of Baal. With Baal. It's Baal, B-A-A-L. Baal was the popular god. And Baal was uh, fairly permissive. And Baal was worshipped by people who would get drunk on palm wine and go into a trance. And they would have all kinds of ecstatic visions. And uh, then... Uh, go into all kinds of celebrations around Baal. And he was very popular. And when the Israelites came along with their God, the, it was really important that nobody could go to, down the road to the Baal celebration. They had to stay with their own God. And so he said the, the commandments came out in order to curtail all the fun that they were having worshiping Baal. And it was uh, specifically about that one God that was the big, the big one, you know. So, and he went on to, you know, make, draw comparisons between the world now. And he said, who is the big God now? He says, no doubt the winner hands down is money. Money is the new God. And he said, uh, thou shalt have no God but money. It seems to be the new rule. But uh, anyway, it's... it's uh, a different world these days, but the same old habits are coming up. So having Father Michael Guinan unpack the Old Testament was a great revelation. I enjoyed the class so much, I took it twice, just in case I missed something the first time through, because he would go, he would say, now, he said, what I love are these rubes, these yahoos, these jerks who have never read the Bible who say, I believe every single word in the Bible is true and comes from God's mouth. He said, well, let me see now. 
Do you believe this word came from God's mouth? Yes, I do. Well, he says that's interesting because that was added 200 years after the word in front of it. He said, that, that's Greek, but that's Aramaic. He said, that's just a translation mistake. He said, that was added later by the Pharisees from the transcript. You know. And he said, the Bible's not one book. It's like seven books crammed together. All different languages. Look at the grammar here. He says, this isn't Greek. This is Aramaic. This, this is Hebrew. This is added later. Oh, that was cut out. You're reading two sections crammed together that was missing three pages. And so, I hope no. So, Father Michael Guinan was not entirely popular with a lot of the uh, literalist interpreters of the Bible, but for students, he was great fun because he uh, had actually spent 10 years at the uh, Catholic University in, in, in uh, Washington, D.C., and he'd been to the Vatican for a couple of decades, and had been to the Middle East and, uh, you know, was one of the people who pieced together the old scrolls from the fragments with microscopes and lights. And, and it's hard to argue with him. And he, he was a absolutely believing, true-hearted Catholic. But he didn't want people to simply follow faith and a feeling. He wanted to actually give them something solid to believe in. What is the words of Jesus? What are the words of the Hebrew Scriptures? Where do they come from? So, great fun to, uh, to study the Bible. And he was very sympathetic to Buddhism because he said Buddhism is an older tradition, by and large, that has an intact textual line. He respected the fact that it came from Pali and Sanskrit and that you could take one text and trace it through all the various iterations of it through the, uh, through the collections of the text. He was a textual scholar. And he said, yeah, I've studied Sanskrit. He says, a lot of the, the sutras that you Buddhists read go right back to the words of the Buddha. It's the first time they were recorded. We, we still got them. You Buddhists held on to your texts, he said, and you pretty much avoided the politics. So he said, not like us. We're fighting, fighting, fighting all the time. So, so And he was a Franciscan, and among the various Catholic orders, the Franciscans fight the most. The Franciscans are famous for splitting. They always, every time they come together, they split. And then they make a new order, and they split, and they make a new order. And, and the current Franciscans are the, what are called the third, what, the third order Franciscans. So anyway, great fun. And uh, so here we have a god who is the ruler of the heaven of the 33 gods. And Master Shenhua told a story about how the ruler of the heaven of the 33 gods was originally a woman, he said, who, uh, because the, the story goes, and I'll just give you the brief. Sherful could stretch this story and make it really interesting. Essentially, she was a Dharma protector and a poor woman who lived in the village and there was a monastery that had fallen into disrepair. And the roof leaked. And the water was dripping through and ruining the Buddha image in the altar, on the altar in this broken down temple. The roof was leaking, water was coming in, and the Buddha's gold was running down his face. And so she, being a good Dharma protector, got the other women 
in her social circle, all to contribute, a penny here, a nickel here, a dime there, a quarter here. And bit by bit, they gathered enough money to get gold leaf and repair the Buddha image and repair the roof so it stopped leaking. And they did a really good job because they got the whole village involved. And pretty soon, the monastery was back in working order and better than before. And it looked really splendid. And so, because of the merit of not only stepping forward and saying, this is my responsibility to repair the Buddha image, she got everybody else in the village involved. And as a result of that, when her life came to an end, she was reborn as a god in the heaven of the 33, which means there were 32 other women who she got together, and they were all reborn in the heavens. And because she was the, the organizer, the, the facilitator, she was born as the chief among gods, who became known as Chakra Devanam Indra, Shirti Huan Yin. And this indeed is the very same God known as Lord God on high. This is the God of the Hebrew scriptures, says Shurfu. And so uh, we don't, mind you, I'm coming into a Buddhist Catholic dialogue in October, and I probably won't bring up these facts. Just, I may just forget to mention these points just to save the arguments. But um, this is where the, the God of the 33 comes from. And in our very own Avatamsaka Sutra, there's lots and lots of stories about chakra. And through the Agama Sutras, chakras appearing all the time. In Pali, he's known as Sakka. And he, he shows up. He's always coming from the, the heavenly realm down into the human realm to test the sincerity of cultivators and to uh, make commentary on, on people's cultivation, etc. So... This is a, a familiar figure in the Buddha's Dharma world. Um, only, he would always say, uh, don't cultivate to become chakra because he indeed is still completely bound up in mortality. He's not gone beyond birth and death. In fact, he's uh, in, uh, in a realm of desire and when his blessings come to an end, he will come back down into the human realm or worse. He might lose that body entirely and fall into the three evil destinies. So um, that's one major difference in Buddhism and theistic religions, which is you can replace God and it's not a good idea. You can be born as a God. In Christianity, that's not even thinkable. Furthermore, uh, from the Buddhist point of view, he would say, don't. Why? Because it's, it's like saying, I want to go to New York City, but I stop in St. Louis. I want to go to Buddhahood, but I stop as a god? Bad idea, is what the Buddha would say. You're only not even halfway there. So that's a little bit about the heaven of the 33. And that's where our bodhisattva stays on the third ground. The bodhisattva gets the body of a god of the, the ruler, chakra. He gets chakra's body because of the blessings of his cultivation. But understand that the third ground 
is three out of ten. So he's got a long way to go. But while he is cultivating there, he has the blessings of the gods. So another way to look at that is you say, wow, was Lord Chakra a third stage bodhisattva? Hmm, that's interesting to contemplate. From the Avatamsaka point of view, that really could be the case. All those stories about chakra could be talking about somebody whose body is a god's body, but whose vows and whose practices are those of a bodhisattva of the third ground. Okay? He is, she is able to employ expedient means so that we, living beings, lose our greed and our desire. How does that happen? Again, we're told in the Avatamsaka that one of the things that the God does in the heaven of the 33 is he speaks Dharma. He's a Dharma speaker. And the gods are out doing the thing that they do, having the, doing the work and enjoying the pleasures that gods do. And Chakra will play the heavenly drum, the Tian Gu. It's, uh, it's talked about in detail in the chapter called the Shen Shopin, the worthy leader chapter, how this heavenly drum works. It's very nifty that in this heaven, the, the Tian Gu will go boom, boom, boom for two reasons. One reason is to tell the devas it's time to go listen to the Dharma because Chakra is going to speak. The other reason that that drum sounds is because the Asuras are attacking. When the Asuras, who are always struggling with the gods for power, are attacking the heavens, the drum goes boom, boom, boom. And it's the signal to drop your guitar and pick up your machine gun, because here come the, uh, here come the Asuras. And you're going, oh, Dharma Master, there aren't any machine guns in the heavens. Well, there are more, even more effective weapons. The sutra, believe it or not, goes on to describe how Chakra fights. When he fights, he uses his shantong miao yong. He uses his psychic powers. And one of the things he does, and these asuras are titans. They're huge warriors. And they're very scary. And they can make their bodies just vast. Chakra uses his psychic powers, and he makes a body that has the ability to appear directly in front of each different Ashura fighter. And the body makes multiple heads and multiple arms, and each arm is holding a flaming adamantine pestle. And he's coming down, and his eyes shoot bolts of lightning. And every Asura sees Chakra coming right for him directly. And it's totally a manifestation of his psychic powers. So he's a really effective fighter. And all the Asuras go, wah, no way. And they turn tail and run. And then Chakra goes back into his one body. And he goes, works pretty good, doesn't it? You know. So the sutra describes that, that encounter how Chakra never actually has to shed blood. He just terrifies them and they run away, scared. So that's when the heavenly drum sounds. So that's one of the expedients that Chakra uses to cause so that the, 
the devas in the heavens don't forget that they got there because of blessings. And when those blessings are used up and enjoyed, that's it. That's the end of their blessings, and they have to leave the heavens. So his job is to get them to remember to continue to cultivate so they can continue to make progress. He uses, what does he use? The four methods that gather in living beings. We talked about them last week. The four gathering dharmas, the four dharmas that, that uh, recruit and include living beings. Long sentence says everything that the Bodhisattva does there, all the deeds that the Bodhisattva does, he does while remembering the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, up to and including means there's a list that has been shortened. It has been shortened. It's probably the six kinds of mindfulness, the liu nian, up to and including keeping in mind that he wants to be the master of wisdom. He wants to be full of wisdom. What is yiche zhong, yiche zhi This is a long name for wisdom. This is the Buddha's wisdom. So what this is saying is remembering that he wants to be a Buddha. So everything the Bodhisattva does to teach these living beings has a, uh, has a quality to it, which is the Bodhisattva doesn't do it carelessly. He's not casual. He's not goofing around. Even when he's joking, he does, he acts with a sense of gravity, with a sense of purpose. He's there to wake people up. In other words, he's following his vows. Okay? Bodhisattva wants to follow his vows all the time. He never forgets that. All right? That's essentially what that's talking about. So he can be relaxed. He can have fun. But you always have a sense that the Bodhisattva's got... mm, What do you say? He's got qi zhi in Chinese. He's got a certain quality, a certain uh, gravity to him. He's not heedless. He's not careless. She's not just playing around. The Bodhisattva has character all the time. And so people naturally follow him. So uh, at this time, and the sutra says, here's what the Bodhisattva thinks. The Bodhisattva makes the following reflection. He says, Among all kinds of living beings, I should be a leader. I should be supreme. I should be really supreme. I should be wonderful. I should be subtle and wonderful. I should be superior. I should be unsurpassed. And I should even be somebody who has sarvajnya, who has the highest wisdom that people can rely on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, up to and including eight. So there's a list of eight things. What is this? 
the bodhisattva is giving himself, herself a challenge. He's on the third stage. He's got seven more to go. And I think it would be pretty easy to stop here and enjoy it. Because, look, he's a god. She's a god. And life is good. Um, There's vision. There's ability. There's meaning. The Bodhisattva has a sense of of, uh, purpose and has real ability, incredible function, freedom. It's a god in the heavens. And yet, the Bodhisattva is saying, "Mm, that's not... I need to urge myself on. I have to continue to cultivate and improve, to go further, to go beyond this state. And these are the reflections. So take a look. Here's our Avatamsaka Sutra that many people will say is the peak of the Buddhist philosophy. And yeah, there are philosophical elements in the Avatamsaka for sure. For example... There's an entire chapter devoted to mathematics. It's called the Usung Chipin. The entire chapter is names of numbers, long numbers. Do we have numbers with names? What's a hundred? Well, it's a couple zeros. What's a thousand? Three zeros. What's a million? Well, that's six zeros and a digit, right? We have numbers with names. Well, so does Buddhist mathematics. It comes from very precise Indian cultural approach to numbers. There are names of numbers, right? There's asankhyas, there's kalas, there's uh, uh, um, upanishads, all these different names. And that chapter is full of them. It's just a name, a, a list of these wonderful numbers. And... So that's neat, mathematical theory. If you're a mathematician, you know kind of what that is. It's very abstract. But that's one of the chapters out of 40, and it's one of the shortest ones. What I like about the Avatamsaka Sutra is passages like this, which is what it takes us in the mind of the Bodhisattva. Here's what the Bodhisattva's thinking. Bodhisattva's going, yeah, you know, I need... I really need to exhort myself. I need to work hard so I can get beyond the people who I see who are confused, who are content with a little, who are running the other way from awakening, who are putting themselves to sleep all the time, who prefer their dreams to reality, people who are actually out actively doing evil and creating bad karma that's going to take them out of their human bodies. I can't just coast. I can't just let it go. So that's what the Bodhisattva is doing. Why on the third ground, he would continue all the way up to the 10th and beyond. So this guy is on his own case, this Bodhisattva. And he's always, uh, not to say greedy for progress, but he is not content with small results. This is a person who is ambitious in a selfless way. 
So that's, he's ambitious to uh, improve his own accomplishments in the Dharma. Because he's seen the Buddha and he knows he's not there yet. So I like that. What gets you out of bed in the morning? The alarm clock, Dharma Master. You're right. Why do you get out of bed? I mean, what gets you, what lights your fire? Well, my kids. If I don't, there they'll go hungry. All right. There's a bodhisattva impulse. I get up, I get out of bed in order to feed my hungry kids. Right on. Thank goodness moms do that, or dads. What gets dad out of bed? Because he knows that if he doesn't, his family might not have a roof. And so he gives up his dreams in order to go into the grind to earn the money that keeps the roof over the head of his family. That's the bodhisattva impulse. It is much uncelebrated. People don't praise dads for suspending their wish to be a poet or a photographer and to take a job that they might not like but keeps their family safe and dry and secure. That's heroic. That's the bodhisattva's impulse, putting others first, putting their own interests last. So that's how the bodhisattva says, yeah, I should be a leader. I really have to do this because if I don't, People are still suffering, and I will just be a, a spectator to it. I won't be able to do anything about it. Okay? So, what kind of a sutra is the Avatamsaka to you when you read these? What, what do you see? What, what makes sense to you? I'm moved by the heart. This is a heart sutra. All right. Let's continue. Here we go, down below. Ruo qin xing jing jin, yu yi nian qing. De bai qian san mei, de jian bai qian fo, zhi bai qian fo shen li, neng dong bai qian fo shi jie, nai zhi shi xian bai qian shen. Yi yi shen bai qian pu sa yi wei zhen shu, ruo yi pu sa shu sheng yuan li, 自在实现,过于此数,百节浅节,乃至白前意,哪有他节,不能数之。If he diligently cultivates with vigor, in a single instant of thought, he obtains a hundred thousand samadhis. He comes to see a hundred thousand Buddhas, knows the spiritual abilities of a hundred thousand Buddhas, can move a hundred thousand Buddhas' worlds, up to and including making appear a hundred thousand bodies, each and every body having a hundred thousand bodhisattvas as its following. If he employs the most supreme power of vows of a bodhisattva to appear at will, the number is far greater. In a hundred eons, a thousand eons, up to and including a hundred thousand million nayutas of eons, it couldn't be reckoned or known. Those are some of those uh, Sanskrit numbers that I mentioned. Nayutas is another one of those. Okay, if the bodhisattva diligently cultivates with vigor, in one split second, it's measured by a thought. How fast is a thought? Just that much? 
In that brief instant of time, the Bodhisattva obtains a hundred thousand samadhis. We could work on that sentence for a very long time, describing what's a samadhi, how does the Bodhisattva obtain it, how can a Bodhisattva obtain a bunch of samadhis at once? Not only a bunch, but a hundred thousand of them in such a short time. What's different after the Bodhisattva obtains a hundred thousand samadhis? Are they that short? Or is that like once he's in them, he doesn't leave? All these questions come up. And I don't think we'll do that tonight. We're not going to unpack that one tonight. But understand that this is one of those refrain, uh, uh, refrain meaning like a chorus, not refrain meaning stop. This is one of the, the um, chorus, what do you say, uh, passages of the Avatamsaka. I mentioned last week that every one of the ten grounds has a repetitive section that comes back every time, slightly upped. The ante gets raised. So in the second, first ground and second ground, the Bodhisattva had a few samadhi abilities. Now, in a split second, he can enter 100,000 samadhis. His mind purifies to that extent and gets still and quiet. And it happens really fast. We get to the fourth ground, it'll be upped again. Fifth ground, upped again, like that. So this is that, I say, the refrain, kind of like a song, the part, the chorus that comes around again. Only each time as the Bodhisattva progresses up the ten stages, he's got uh, more, more abilities. And furthermore, in the third ground, the Bodhisattva sees 100,000 Buddhas. You can recall earlier in the first and second ground, he first was able to see Buddhas, but not very many. Now, as he continues, the Buddhas appear in greater numbers. Furthermore, he has Buddha's shanli, the, the psychic abilities of 100,000 Buddhas are his now. He obtains them. He can move worlds. What else can he do? He can make bodies appear, transformation bodies. What else? Each and every body has bodhisattvas around it as followers. Oh my goodness. Look at these amazing abilities that come from the third ground. They're part of the state of the third ground. So how do we understand that? Here's a very ordinary example. If you get your MD degree, if you become a doctor, you get a bumper sticker. And that bumper sticker, a license plate, sometimes license plate, allows you to park where other people cannot park because you're an MD. And those license plates open up to you. Uh, for example, uh, UC Berkeley, the Greek theater, um, is the, a performance venue, right? It's a nice outdoor uh, performance place where they have bands and concerts and opera. And if you have MD license plates, you come up to the gate 
where the performers go, and you can drive your car right through the gate, right up to the main door, and get out and walk shorter distance. Why? You're a doctor. That's one of the perks of being an MD, right? Boy, somebody said, wow, I didn't think med school was as cool as that. Maybe I'll be a doctor. I can drive right up to the front door of the theater. It's true. Uh, you know, of course, that's really silly. Doctors can drive up to the door. Why? So they can save people's lives. That's why they're doing that. But it's a perk. If you have to walk a long way when the, when the Grateful Dead spin-off band is playing, then you might think, gee, look at that doctor. He gets to jump the line. It's a perk of being an MD. Well, yeah, of course, the MD paid for it with so many years of hard schooling, internship, residency, etc. So, likewise, the Bodhisattva, when he enters the third ground, has all these incredible perks happen. He's got samadhis. He's got psychic abilities. He can move the world when he needs to. Not for fun, but because he has to teach that way. He can make bodies appear, and the bodies are surrounded by bodhisattvas. Amazing? Totally amazing. But that's the state of the Avatamsaka. That's what's going on. When we get to the fourth stage, next time, you'll see even more. More Buddhas, more abilities, more worlds, more bodies, more samadhis. So, this is a progressive state. Now, the last sentence says, if he uses the supreme vow strength of a bodhisattva to appear, the number is greater still. And if you tried to count the amount of perks, you could say, or special states of this bodhisattva, if you started now and, and kept counting for 100 eons, 1,000 eons, 100,000 million uncountable eons, you still couldn't get to the end. So that's a lot. That's a very long time. In other words, this ability that the Bodhisattva is starting to unpack is way beyond our conscious mind, way beyond thought. This goes right out past logic, past numbering, past categories that we could describe it, way beyond language. And yet that doesn't mean unreal. It's completely real. It's just what you say, it is truly beyond reckoning, inconceivable. You can't think about it. Okay, there we go. And one of the challenges of the Avatamsaka, of course, is trying to grasp it. And at a certain point, as we continue in the Ten Grounds, we're going to give up trying. Stop apologizing for it. Stop trying to rationalize it. Just present it. Present it and say, what do you all make of this? What do you all think? How do you respond to this? And I know some minds give up. Some minds just are defeated by, even threatened by the scope of the Avatamsaka. But I have to say, of all the sutras I've read, there isn't a, a perspective that the Avatamsaka gives us. There's an atmosphere, there's an energy of this flower garland sutra that is refreshing and it's like being on the top of a mountain and looking very far that kind of feeling
I climbed to the top of Castle Mountain in the Colorado Rockies uh, above Snowmass near Aspen. And it was 14,280 feet, I remember, because I saw the U.S. Geodesic Service disc at the top of the mountain. And it was really hard to get up there. It took more strength than I actually thought I had. And when I was at the top of that mountain, the birds were flying down below. The airplanes, the little Cessnas, were flying way below. The The airport was down there. The airplanes were like this. And the birds were, you know. And uh, from that vantage point, you could see almost all the way to Denver. And Denver was a mile high, but that's 5,000 feet. And we were at 14,000 feet. And we went up without ropes or oxygen and just, you know, on our, on our two feet all the way up the top. And, gee, that was, you measure things from that from then on, right? You go, well, that wasn't as tall as I was in Colorado, 14,280 feet. By comparison, Everest is, what, 25,000, I think, 23,000, something like that. So, But still, for a kid from Toledo, that's high. That's way up there. And uh, I remember just looking up, and, and the the air was so thin up there, and the, the, the peak of the mountain was kind of narrow. It was just like, about this big, and of course the three guys I was with were all kind of crowding on there, and it was so, uh, there was no security for you. What did I do? I looked immediately at my feet. Here I am on top of this mountain range, and i looking at my feet. I didn't dare look up much, you know. It's like too tall. I might fall, I might fall off, you know. And it was, it was so funny because here you are at the top of, like, top highest you can climb in, in a long way. And I look at my feet. That's my left foot. That's my right foot. You know, don't look. So it's really funny how the mind deals with limitlessness. I think when we touch this sutra, it's somewhat the same. When you get to that place of hundreds of thousands of nayutas of eons, you go, ah, one, two, three, four, five. I got five. It's a lot. You know, we just kind of grab for something familiar because it's threatening. It's too much. But that's the challenge. And if we can, bit by bit, we get a whole new perspective. And after that, we measure things by the bodhisattva's point of view. All right, Bhagali, um, I'm going to do what I promised and hook up the slide projector so that everybody can take a look at some of the images from Oregon. Dedication of merit, splice it on there. So if you want to, um, if everybody will make a wish to send that merit out, merit from listening to the Avatamsaka Sutra with wholesome Dharma friends. Here we go.
if you